0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share, and their insights on how they got to the level of
1: success they have today. This is episode 141, and today we'll be chatting with Hannah Kulin, a product designer at Facebook. Hannah is originally from Sweden, where she hustled to become
0: a designer and ended up joining Spotify through an internship. While there, an opportunity presented itself for Hannah to become one of the first product managers to work on what would become Spotify Business. While backed by Spotify, Hannah and her colleagues built this side of the business from scratch, very much
1: like a startup of their own. Through this process and to help meet our own needs in documenting user feedback on mobile devices, Hannah also created a product called Lookback.io, which would go on to become its own startup and even raise funding. Today, Hannah is a product designer at Facebook, where she's a part of the video team. She's currently focused on Facebook Live and building creator tools for this rapidly growing platform. Hannah joins us to share her story, how she got into tech and startups, what it's been
0: like building her career as a designer at Spotify and now Facebook, how she's approached designing and helping to build creator tools for Facebook Live, the differences in startup culture between Sweden and San Francisco, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at us at hacktostart, drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get
1: started. Hey Anna, thanks so much for being on the show today.
2: Hi, thanks so much for having me.
1: Frank and I are really excited to have you on to learn more about your time at Spotify and Facebook. But before we dive into that, like to learn a little bit more about yourself. So where are you from and what did you study?
2: So I'm from Sweden, as you can probably tell, from a very small town in the countryside outside of Gothenburg on the west coast in Sweden. Uh, and I have studied a lot of different things, but I am mainly focused on graphic design and interaction design. Uh, I've studied uh, media, culture, communication design, graphic design, print, uh, mainly in Sweden and in Germany. And I also took a master's program at Hyper Island, uh, called Interactive Art Director. And I can definitely recommend Hyper Island to anyone who wants to get a track to become a product designer or in a product design career
1: that's amazing and there's so much art and history in Berlin and in Germany so it's amazing you had a chance to go to school there
2: yeah I was actually in Cologne but I spent a lot of time in Berlin too uh, with one of my startups
1: so how did your passion for design and tech develop
2: uh, it's a great question and for me it started with tech before design I think because uh, I grew up with uh, having computers at home pretty early Amiga 500 and Commodore 64. I don't know if you're familiar with these like old personal computers.
0: Yeah, I had a Commodore uh, 64. That was my first computer. Yeah. And
2: it's like, it just taught you so much about like how computers work and it was also like playful because I used to play a lot of games um, on these computers. So it was actually my brother's computers. He saved up all his money to be able to buy them. I think another part of, of my history within tech is because my father uh, works as a mechanic in, so he would always like take stuff apart and put them together again and would like teach me how things are working. And I think I always had a passion for combining uh, logic with aesthetics. So. The design interest started when I started making my own CDs, you know, when you were like copying or burning CDs in the early uh, 2000s, late 90s. Uh, I made my own (laughs) mixtapes and I made my own uh, CDs and I also wanted to have like a beautiful cover and not just this like random CDR. Uh, ugly thing. So I started like cutting and gluing and designing them by hand. And then later in school, I was uh, able to choose like a media program. So I started getting introduced to like Illustrator or Photoshop or Quark Express. And I think that's where my interest for design started and kind of took over the tech part.
1: It's so funny to hear you say that. You're bringing back some early design memories for myself as well, making those CD covers and the early days of learning what design really was. And it's really great to hear that you kind of went down that same path.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I think a lot of people had the same experience. But for me, it was like I, I did a whole collection <laughs> in a certain style. And, you know, like I put way too much time into this.
1: Um, but. <laughs> you, have to, you have to post them online. It'd be really, really cool to see to see those I designs. I
2: They're at my parents' house because like CDs, you know, you didn't like move them with you as soon as Spotify came
1: on. So. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so true. So how did you start your career and what was your first job?
2: I started my career within uh, graphic design and, and product design with doing a lot of different posters and graphic design work for our student union and for our student clubs during university. After graduating, I think my first like real product design job was within a startup called Cloudbase. And this was back in 2011. I was kind of doing everything. There was just three of us. and. The product was software for private planes. So you could book, you could schedule when you wanted to go, when you wanted to have catering and all these details, just to simplify the whole like booking and reservation flow. We got some clients and we got some funding, but it wasn't enough. So after like six months, we had to give it up. I was actually mainly doing this on the side while working in another company. But that's where my passion for startups and like product design started. And I knew there, there could be so many different parts that could be changed about new technology, making it easier for people to do different things. So that was just scratching the surface of, of the possibilities that I saw uh, within this space.
1: That's really cool that you decided to jump into the startup world with that first design project. So what were some of the biggest lessons you learned through that job?
2: Being the only designer and like one of the few people in a startup forces you to to take on a lot of roles, take on a lot of different responsibilities. So I think everything from, you know, communications design, branding, building a website and actually doing the product design when you're having the responsibility for all of those different parts i think you have a very steep learning curve and there's a lot of things you can do i think one of the things i took on early was to do some type of user research because like i I didn't really know the space i was working with so the actual product started because a friend of mine who was a pilot uh, was frustrated with this current ui so we kind of thought we could do it better but with most startups we couldn't get it to work in the end but it was a perfect learning experience and since i mentioned like I, I had another job on the side it didn't really matter for me i was able to just do this for funness and that's a learning experience
0: yeah absolutely learning experiences are are so critical to just try things even if ultimately they don't end up working it's it's you get to you know learn a lot more by doing i guess
2: exactly
0: so shortly after that, uh, you know, your career took another turn. You ended up joining Spotify as a design intern. So can you tell us a little bit more about that process and like how you created the opportunity to join the team at, at Spotify?
2: So I joined Spotify after my year at Hyper Island, and I basically knew that, like, from the day Spotify launched in two thousand eight in Sweden. I knew that I wanted to work there, but I don't think that spotify was interested in me uh, back in 2008 2009 so i had more had to get more experience but i knew that i wanted to work there because i always had an interest in music and tech and combining the two led me to believe that spotify was the the thing that I wanted to work with. And I I kind of understood after using the product for a while that uh, this could be a whole new revolution of the whole space. And that was very exciting for me. So I wanted to join. And after studying at Hyper Island, we had an internship period. So I applied, but it was kind of a long way there. And I reached out through Twitter, to through LinkedIn, and I suggested improvements on the Spotify community forum. I studied every part of the product and somehow I, I was able to get an interview for an internship. With the product design team and there weren't any internships at the time but i was able to mention my passion for user research combined with product design and the product design team at the time was only about seven people and i think it was 800 employees in total so they desperately needed someone to help out on the user research side so I ended up getting the offer and uh, running the whole uh, user research initiative for a few months on my own, which was super exciting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's super cool. And so you, you know, ended up joining the team and and staying there for a while, becoming a product manager and a product designer, and then ultimately working on a tool called Soundtrack Your Band, which would then later morph into sort of like Spotify business. So can you tell us more about like that transition for you, like gaining those extra responsibilities and then becoming, you know, a product manager and, and product designer?
2: Yeah, sure. To give you some background on this, Spotify made a joint venture together with this company, Soundtrack Your Brand. They together started Spotify Business, which is a tool for the business-to-business market. So for Spotify, the regular Spotify, it's a private license. So it means that you can only play music at home and to your friends. But as soon as you want to play music in any commercial environment, you need a commercial license. And it's because in a restaurant, in a bar or clothing store, there's so many more people listening to the music and the rights owners and the musicians want to get paid for that. So basically when the Spotify licenses were uh, negotiated with the labels, that part of the licenses were cut that commercial part so what ended up happening was that we saw a lot of people coming to spotify and asking can i play this in my store can i play this in my cafe or in any commercial environment and spotify always had to say no so spotify and spotify business soundtrack your brand saw this opportunity in making a separate product to suit these needs of business owners and I was able to join because I had a lot of knowledge I had built up a lot of product knowledge within the Spotify team and Spotify business wasn't launched at the time but it was a very small team and I was able to join when we were just 15 people or so back then we didn't have that many designers on the team but we knew that we wanted design to be a leading part in creating the, this product so uh, we ended up only having designers being product managers in this company. And that was very exciting and very scary for me personally, because I wasn't sure if product management was something for me, but I would split my time between product managing and designing. So it ended up being a perfect combination. And I think as a result, you can see that the products are very focused on design and design thinking, and that might make the process a little bit slower because we're doing everything detailed or we were doing everything very detailed when I was there. And I I know that they're still working like that. So that was super exciting to just be part of of that journey and to be able to actually go from consumer side to the business side and help out to build this ecosystem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That sounds super cool. And so maybe diving into that a little bit more. Like what was your day-to-day role like? Like I know you said you split your time between being a product manager and a product designer, but what does that actually like look like, especially, you know, when you're working with a bunch of other designers who are also doing the same thing? And when you say that like you got it was a very, you know, design-driven product, like how do you mm-hmm. guys how did you focus on the features, I guess, that you would roll out within that product, I guess?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think I mean, I would do anything from the roadmap planning to uh, the user testing or the wireframes and, you know, making sure, like working with the engineers to to plan this. And of course, it was very stressful in the beginning before we had launched because this was kind of a separate company from Spotify and we didn't have, we kind of had to start all, all over again, even though we were funded by Spotify, we didn't have unlimited resources. So we kind of had to work as quickly as we could, but still keep keeping that balance with designing something that we really believed in. So it was a lot of pressure before we you know, got to the point where design was kind of like ahead of engineering. But as soon as you get there, I think investing in design early and making sure that everyone is on board is part of, of the success it takes a lot of effort from the design side in the beginning to come to that point point. and in the Spotify business case I think it was definitely we didn't get it right in the beginning like we the product we launched is not what the company is selling today it was kind of different uh, a different approach and I think it's interesting how sometimes you need to launch something and test that and learn from it So it's also a balance of releasing things, getting the feedback you need, and then iterating on that product. As designers, I think sometimes we're a little bit reluctant to release something before we think that it's good enough. But I think that's part of the challenges that I had to face in this company to launch something early, tested, and then also iterate on it. But of course, you have to pay a price for it somehow, but it's always worth it
0: yeah absolutely and so speaking of like you know releasing something and getting the data and then working it back in and and iterating on the product while you were there at at, at spotify you were also part of a team that or later you know you were part of a team that ended up building a product called lookback.io and then that Mm -hmm. split off to become its own company and even raised some some money so can you tell us a little bit more about like that experience and what motivated your team to create that product initially
2: Sure, and um, thank you for asking about Lookback. It's a product that I absolutely love. I was part of Lookback in the beginning, in the very first days of its existence. So yeah, it's a user research tool to capture exactly uh, how users experience the product. And this was a passion project for me during my time at Spotify. It started with me during my user test, my weekly user test, not really being able to record. When I was testing something on mobile, I had to, you know, we didn't have any user research lab. So I had to book a, la- uh, a room, set up a tripod, tape it like silver tape, a web camera, and then record through my computer. It took a lot of time, took a lot of effort, and then the recording didn't get good enough so that I could really share it with my team. So I actually talked to one of our iOS engineers who had started hacking on on something that we could use his hack to be able to record the screen the front facing camera the sound from the phone itself and the uh, record the conversation we didn't have a ui at the time but we we knew this was something that we we needed to use internally Fast forward a couple of weeks or months, we started using this when testing internally at Spotify. And me and the iOS developer Nevin started working on this on the side as a side project. And then two other people joined. And this was at the time where I was choosing between Spotify and Spotify Business. And Lookback didn't have any funding or we we weren't even sure if we were going to make a product out of it, but I had to make a choice whether I should either focus on on the Spotify career or take a a chance again on a startup that didn't have any funding. So I ended up choosing the Spotify track in this case. And uh, the other three went on and raised money and then moved to San Francisco, where we all are right now. So I'm super excited for them. They're doing a great job. And I love the product.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we're definitely linked to them so other people can check it out. Because like when I came across it, actually like preparing for this interview, I was like, oh man, this looks so awesome. Like it solves so many problems that I've faced before. (laughs) Um, It
2: does. And I mean, they scale it from iOS to all different platforms. So and it's easy to share with your team and to be able to reference certain parts. Yeah, it's it's definitely a tool that is worth using in, in any type of user research.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of wonder why it hasn't existed before, well, before you guys made it. And I think it's cool that it came out of, you know, a need that you guys saw as part of a team while you were building a product. I think, you know, that, that just speaks to the uh, the additional value that's there for sure.
2: Definitely. Yeah, I'm super excited to have been a part of this. There were other types of recording software before, but none of them were using all of these um, features or, and couldn't really, you know, deliver on the quality that we wanted. So we just made it ourselves instead.
0: Yeah, for sure. So even though you know it was something that you guys built internally, and then you ended up still staying with Spotify, what were some of the biggest lessons, like as a designer, that you learned or took out of that experience, especially if there was no interface in the early days?
2: I think that if you have a good idea, you should go for it. I mean, most startups will fail, but if it's good enough idea, it will scale and it will appeal to at least someone. And it's part of the journey. I think if you're afraid of failing, like have another job on the side and work on this as a side project and see where, where it can go. I think some other learnings I had from using Lookback internally at Spotify was that I could actually export these files and include them in my presentations. So when I was showing these clips of the user feedback to stakeholders internally, uh, it turned out to be very, very powerful. So it really helped me in, in my work. That's also when I knew that this this could be could be something to work on and I think if you're trying to build a startup while working at a big tech company, it won't leave you with a lot of free time, but you will learn a lot. And in the state of my career back then, I was definitely willing to to try everything and see what would stick. I loved startups. I still love startups, but I was also you know, very dedicated to do this on my free time. So if you can, try and get together with friends. Uh, something we did was that we had uh, hack Tuesdays. So we would meet, a couple of friends at someone's house and just hack on things together some of the products worked some of the products failed but it was just really good to have an environment where you would share ideas and and also motivate each other to take the time to work on your side project
0: sounds like so much fun but uh, i can definitely uh, attest to not having a lot of time afterwards <laughs> that's true yes
1: but it's all <laughs> worth it for sure So today you're a product designer on the video team at Facebook in California. Can you tell us a bit more about how you created the opportunity to join the team at Facebook?
2: Sure. Uh, I would love to tell my story and inspire others to join Facebook. So it started with me uh, going to a conference in New York in 2014. It was called Brooklyn Beta. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it.
1: I am I, I don't I think I missed the boat right the Brooklyn Beta is, is no longer uh, an event
2: Yeah I was there for the final year it was the fifth and final year Jealous. and it was all these cool hipster uh, designers <laughs> there and I got to hang out with a few designers from Facebook we exchanged, you know, experiences and talked about Spotify and talked about Facebook and how we we're working. And, you know, it was just a really casual conversation. And then about a week after I got an email from a recruiter, and honestly, I never thought I would qualify to become a product designer at Facebook. But I did a first interview, I did a second interview, I did an onsite, and suddenly I had an offer. And it was kind of a big decision for me because I I wasn't sure if I would get the visa. For me, I think the H1B visa was the way to go. And you can only apply once a year. And there were no guarantees for me to get the visa. So I kind of, you know, I didn't want to take anything for granted. But when I got the visa, I knew I had to do this. In Sweden, there's a lot of interesting startups, but Silicon Valley and especially San Francisco as a city has always appealed to me. So I had to take the opportunity. And at the time when I was interviewing, I didn't know what team I would join. But in my first two weeks I was able to meet with a lot of different teams and the video team had an open position and I was super happy to be able to work there. It was definitely a big move for me and also I really loved my job in Sweden. But I kind of had to take this opportunity. It's not every day you get an offer from Facebook. So that's I was true. I was very, very, you know, excited and humble for the fact that they thought that I could bring any value to to their organization. Uh, that's something you realize. Uh, I think imposter syndrome is, is very, very common and something that we should probably talk more about. But I think, you know, there's a reason why. Why they want your experience, and I think a diverse design community is probably one of the best communities you can have. Mm-hmm. I also want to mention that I had been in San Francisco ten years before I actually moved here, and that was like way before I realized that I wanted to pursue a career within tech or uh, product design. And I knew that I wanted to come back here. I kind of told myself when I was visiting that one day I'm gonna live in San Francisco, and that was actually part of the reason too, and not only the. the tech scene which is amazing here of course.
1: It's funny how life does that to you you know you go visit and travel the world and fall in love with the place and, and, and end up and going and, and jumping and making the leap to go, to go there so yeah that's definitely inspiring and, and you're making me want to come down to, to California and it sounds, it sounds amazing but uh, you know you had the chance to work in Sweden you had the chance to work in California how can you best describe the startup and tech scene between the two places and what were some of the best parts of it in each of the countries?
2: I think there's pros and cons with both. Sweden has a lot of successful startups for being just 10 million people. So Skype, Spotify, Minecraft, uh, SoundCloud, for example, were all started by Swedes in Sweden. And there's a lot of really smart people and a lot of people are highly educated because we have our free education system, which we're very, very privileged to have. I would say one of the downsides is that we have less VC firms, it's harder to get funding for your startup or for your ideas. And also the the amount of money you can get is is way lower than in the US. That's one of the downsides, I guess, but one of the things that I think the Swedish startup scene could benefit from is to have a little bit more diversity. So not only do we need more women, but we also need more people from other countries to you know, enrich and help building a better team. So I think the same is true for Silicon Valley in general. However, I feel very lucky to work at Facebook where we have a lot of people from different parts of the world. And that's actually one of the most interesting parts for me. In terms of Silicon Valley, there's some parts where the tech scene is pretty spread out. A lot of the big companies are down in the South Bay. And the commutes here is for a Swede. it's a little bit overwhelming to be stuck in traffic for, you know, an hour or so a day to be able to go to a place where it would take you probably 30 minutes to drive if there were no traffic. So there's definitely a lot of people here. And it makes it a little bit harder to just get around. I also think A big difference from the Swedish tech scene is that it's a little bit more competitive here, which I think is a good thing, but it's also succeed or fail. You have to put everything into it here. And I think you have to work even harder than you have to do in Sweden. Sweden has a little bit more uh, work-life balance, I would say, while in California or in Silicon Valley, it's, it's a little bit more competitive.
1: That's really cool. And I mean, you focus kind of the answer around like the startup in tech, but how is the culture a bit different in, in Sweden compared to, the, to to California, specifically in the design scene? I
2: feel like the design scene or at least my experiences with other working with other designers here is that people tend to share a little bit more and to uh, work a little bit more collaboratively. I think it's something, you know, culturally with Swedes that we're not as we're a little bit more shy. And if we don't really have something important to say, we would rather be quiet. While I think Americans are more taught to, you know, explain things or show things. And I feel like it's a very inclusive environment to be in. And there's a lot of meetups, there's a lot of things happening. That's true for Sweden too, but I feel like it's more so here.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. So going back to your current team at Facebook, Facebook as a whole has embraced so much around video right now. So how has it had an impact on the design uh, within the company?
2: So the video team and the video product has become uh, more and more important over the last year or so, I would say that Video is an important medium of communication between people. So Facebook kind of started with text posts. That was the very first way of sharing with your friends. Uh, Then we introduced photos and that became a big thing. And you were tagging your friends in, in photos. Now we see a big focus on videos and especially live videos. And we want to design ways for people to communicate the way that makes most sense. And video is still in the beginning of figuring that out but video is something social, and it's a great way of sharing information with others. So Facebook has invested a lot in design tools to keep the design consistent between different teams and so that it's easy to scale. And with the focus on video during the past year, we've been able to build core video components as well as video related features while sharing our designs and communicate our work with others in the company. So we invest a lot in working with other teams and share Guidelines and best approaches, and design in general has grown a lot. And we're constantly working towards finding ways of sharing and scaling our work with others.
1: I love the design team behind Facebook, and especially all the tools that you're giving back to the community, especially the design tool or gami, and and even going back to just the video feature of Facebook. It's it's just amazing. Like I'm seeing myself consuming more and more video right in the Facebook platform, and it, and it's really interesting to see where it's heading in the upcoming months.
2: Yeah, it's super exciting. Um, I can't believe live video only shipped like a year ago or <laughs> less than a year ago. So, you yeah. kind of take it for granted now.
1: Yeah. So, to kind of reflect back on your time at Facebook. What has been some of the really interesting projects you had the chance to work on?
2: I think the most interesting and most visual product I worked on is uh, the Facebook Live Map. Which exists only on the desktop version of Facebook right now. And it's basically a map over the world where you can see who is live right now. And you can see where people are watching from, and you can see, you know, you can see if there's something interesting happening in a certain place at a certain time. And that's probably one of the most exciting features I've been working on. Otherwise, I've been working on the video publisher tools, such as uploading and managing and protecting video rights and also to be able to see insights and measure how your videos are seen on the platform and how they're doing. The other thing I wanted to mention is live video publishing tools. So for people to create more professional live streams to use an external camera or external microphone and do more of a tutorial or professional broadcast, that has been super exciting to see.
1: Well, all those tools are amazing. I'm actually on the maps tool right now. And it's this is so cool. I'm going to dive into this a little bit deeper after the show. But it's great yeah, to, sure. uh, to see the see the projects that you've had the chance to work on. That's amazing.
2: Yeah, definitely. Live map has actually been one of my side projects. Oh, wow.
1: That's, that's just <laughs> yeah. so amazing. So how do you guys approach thinking about designing the tools for creators? And how does that mindset affect how you want to help empower them to create more video content?
2: I think making it easy is definitely one of the biggest parts of this. If you're doing a more professional live stream, there's sometimes a lot of software involved in doing this. So just thinking through the actual process of someone trying to do like a newscast or trying to do something happening right now, you have to be able to like put yourself in their mindset and think about what are the steps necessary and in that flow or in that design that you're creating what is the things that you absolutely have to communicate in every step how can you make that as seamless as possible and how can you make them feel empowered and have a positive association with this feature there's a lot of different things that you can like think about in this but it also has to come down to trust like people have to trust our platform people have to trust that what we're doing is helping their videos spread or protect their videos or collect insights so balancing launching a lot of features that are easy to use with also building trust and stability within the platform i think is is kind of the balance where we're trying to focus our design work
0: that's a really that's a really interesting point to bring up like balancing those those two aspects because I think a lot of times you think about uh, at least smaller teams especially I think you're just always looking to, to you know release a new a new feature set and, and try to push the product forward but often you don't think about how do we create the stability how do we create the trust uh, so I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that that's really important to think about sort of holistically
2: yeah and that becomes even more important when you have when you're designing for this many people and this many publishers or users you have to think about what you're doing is affecting their business sometimes. So you also have to be careful to balance that.
1: So looking back in your career and your incredible experience so far working with Facebook, what have been some of the most significant moments for you?
2: There's a lot of things I could bring up, but I think Being able to serve our community at Facebook and be able to design for that many people is something I feel very humble for every day. And I strongly believe in our mission to make the world more open and connected. It's something that appeals to me on a very personal level. But I think the biggest part of my time at Facebook has probably been to be a part of launching the Facebook Live platform. It's probably one of the most meaningful things that I've seen. And it's something that will always carry with me.
0: So when you say that Facebook Live has been the most meaningful, like, why do you think that that has been the most impactful, I guess, on you?
2: Just the way it's being used in our community. I think it has a certain authenticity and it's very raw and very direct. It's something you can't edit and put a filter on afterwards. It's just very... Impactful in terms of communicating what's going on right now, and we've seen a lot of different use cases for it. I think it brings a lot of meaning for a lot of people in ways that we could never anticipate.
0: Absolutely. So, changing changing topics a little bit. You know, as a designer, uh, I, I'm sure you use a ton of different tools or or software. But like, what have been some of the most recent apps or or tools or software that you know you've downloaded or used?
2: So, for my phone, which is where I download most software. The number one app that I use every day and that I started using this year is called One Second Video. So I capture one second of my life every day and I will try to do this for the entire 2017. And in the end of the year, I will have a 365 seconds long video with one second of every day of my life. I do this because I'm very nostalgic and I wanna keep writing a diary, but like I don't have the time to do so. So capturing one second of my life that describes that day in the best way suits me perfectly.
0: What do you sorry to, to jump in? What do you do for one second each day? Like do you say anything? Do you wave? Do you smile? like what what <laughs> what do you do with yeah. this?
2: Yeah, I guess I'm still trying to figure out the best format for this if I should be included or not. I, I've tried both. I think the things that are most exciting is when I'm capturing, who I'm with or what I'm doing that day. So it could be anything from being at a concert or, you know, going for a run or actually just, you know, boring things that, oh, today it's raining outside. But whatever describes my day in the best way is what I'm trying to capture. So I'm trying to not since I'm not sure I will share this video with anyone else. It's, it's mainly for myself to be able to remember what I did. Because sometimes you can feel that time is moving so quickly. So this app really helps me to capture my memories.
1: Well, that's a really interesting approach on how to have that type of diary that you're looking for. And, and especially in a video format, it'll be really cool to see the, the final results.
2: That's true, actually. I haven't even thought about that. Um, I'm using video again (laughs) to capture things. But I think video is, is a really interesting format. It says a lot. So another app that i would like to recommend is actually an app that my colleague designed and built internally when he um, took a class in ios programming at facebook it's called tipmoji and i think there's not too many people using it but I, i love it since i'm a swede living in the us i don't really understand the tipping system uh even though i've been here for a year and a half i still have to manually you know calculate what I should tip when I'm at a restaurant or trying to pay a bill. So tipmoji is basically making tipping fun with emojis. The last one I wanted to mention is Headspace. It's a meditation app and it just makes me do my regular daily meditation and I would recommend it to anyone.
1: Of course. So do you have any recommendations on some great content that you've come across lately, like either a book, a video or a blog post?
2: It's not something that was posted recently, but the Swedish scientist or um, lecturer Hans Rosengren did a TED talk a couple of years ago and he died recently that's why I'm bringing it up and he called himself an edutainer so he was a mix between an educator and an entertainer and his thing uh, was that he wanted to explain complex data and show the situation in the world in a different way and prove that it has gotten better and better, and better. So it's kind of the opposite of what the media and the newspapers are trying to tell people that bad things are happening and people are dying. He actually tried to, you know, flip that into something very, very positive. And I think his TED talk is kind of a good way to start getting into his work. And it's definitely something I recommend. Another thing more design specific, I think um, having the opportunity to work with some amazing people at Facebook Facebook Julie Shu our VP of design is having a great Medium blog and her newsletter The Looking Glass is something I definitely recommend for all designers out there. Another old favorite of mine is user onboarding blow that is tearing down the onboarding flows and explaining them in details. And that's always helpful since onboarding is one of the most complex things that you can design for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely going to have to check out that uh, the TED video and, uh, you know, already follow uh, Julie's blog on, on Medium. So we'll definitely link to that for other product managers to, to read because it's really it's really cool.
2: Yeah, thank you.
0: So do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about?
2: It's a little bit cheesy and I can't translate it straight from Swedish, but I have a saying that kind of means don't waste energy on things that doesn't matter. Sometimes I can, you know, panic over very small things and worry about things that hasn't happened. So put your energy on things that matters is probably what I'm trying to tell myself. And I think could be helpful for, for other people too, to not waste energy on the wrong things.
0: Thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, Hannah, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show with us today. It was amazing to have you on.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do this show without your awesome support, so if you liked what you heard, feel free to share it on Twitter or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and until next week.